0: Born and bred in Adelaide, it would seem today's guest on stages was born to dance. Dance classes led to competitive dance, work in musical theatre, and then to his success as one of the country's most versatile choreographers. Cameron Mitchell has acted as personal choreographer for musical theatre star Caroline O'Connor. Given the steps to Child Entertainer's High Five, and he has choreographed for an impressive list that includes Callie Rowland, Natalie Bassingthwaite, Sony Music, Warner Music and Festival Records. With each dance, he creates a unique language tailored specifically for the artist in focus. As a performer, he has appeared regularly in commercial musical theatre, Hot Shoe Shuffle, Chicago, Oliver, West Side Story, My Fair Lady and Spamalot. His passion for musical theatre has seen him extend his role to that of a much-in-demand choreographer, creating dance to support the storytelling and shape the world of a variety of projects. Mac and Mabel, Calamity Jane, Big Fish, and Cry Baby are just a few. Cameron has also fostered the training of many young performers, previously serving as artistic director of Sydney's Brent Street Studios, guiding young dancers to be versatile and to embrace a range of styles. This year he makes his directorial debut at the Hayes Theatre with the musical Catch Me If You Can. Well, I caught Cameron and here's our insightful conversation.
1: Well yeah, I sort of like it and I went back, I moved to Waterloo for a year and then something just, by chance, Someone a room came up in someone's house because I needed somewhere to live and I went back to Waterloo I was like, no, I need to stay here, Waterloo's, it's
0: I like hand. the area.
1: Well it's I can walk you can walk to Newtown, you can walk to the city, you can walk to You can walk to the airport if you want Where, yeah. I have. You have? Yeah. With your wheelie. I... <laughs> with your wheelie
0: no, wheelie. no, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no when, when I have been meeting uh somebody, uh, I thought, I'll kill two birds with one stone, I'll walk out from here. It's an hour. Oh so that's you a thing. know, I've met mum or something and then we've caught an Uber back or whatever, but um I never I just, thought to do that. Oh, it's no, just down fantastic. the end of the street, mind you. You arrive in a
1: bit of a lather, but uh, but uh, you know it's good. But it's I walk good. everywhere. I walk to the haze. Um, if I'm got time, you know, and now it's nothing. I mean, I, yesterday I walked. I usually walk if I decide I'm going to do a walk. I'll leave it's from my door around Centennial Park and back again. It's two hours. How do you do that? I do it every like once a week. I try to do it. At least. Oh, I do every Sunday morning. Every I do two-hour walk, and that's one of my routes. Yeah, routes. Do you go up and then down
0: Lachlan? Do, yeah, yeah, do yeah, C C yeah. Avenue to join where golf the golf course, course is and yeah. up around the thing. And I oh, will have to do it one Sunday morning. It. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love it. Every, every I've got various. And over the Anzac Bridge and um, up through Newtown and Camberdown. and it's great. Two hours, two hours, is and down around good. Mrs Macquarie's Chair is a good one. When I cross. lived in
1: Wollombi, that's where I. I I'd do that nearly every day Yeah, because that would just, that's amazing. You go around past the bridge, past the operas, down the steps and then back up around the chair and through the Botanic Gardens. No, it's
0: essential. I mean, because Sydney's so beautiful too. There's some great walks to do and yeah. um,
1: it's, you know, let's face it, we've got to use it or lose it. It's, well, uh, that's what they say, isn't it? it Mind you, they said we we'll would kick off dementia because show tunes are good for that. So I said, oh, well, queens around the world rejoice. We'll never have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it's you know we don't we keep the legs moving. I mean, God, and I was always saying that. I mean, you know, in I'm 44, but in dancer years, my body's about 156. Yeah. You know. Does it? So, does so. it? So it
0: has that much of an impact? You know.
1: Well, yeah. Plus, plus, I've always taught as well, so I, like I literally haven't stopped moving in 40 years because. I always taught in the downtime from when I wasn't doing shows. So I was saying to the kids, it's my 25th year teaching at Brent Street this year. And I said, so you kids imagine where you are at now. I said, imagine how many times I've rolled my head to start a class or rolled my shoulders. So that's a lot of shoulder rolls. But just everything starting now, like to get out of bed, is everything, it's sore. It's like I feel like a hunchback for the first bit and then it sort of evens out. Until you warm up. Yeah, until my body gets going. Well, that's age anyway, I guess, but
0: it, it is impacted, I guess, after a, a life of dance. Um,
1: have you got any spare parts yet? No. No. Well, I, do you think that'll come? I think my hips might, yeah. I went kayaking at the beginning of the year, and it was all fine, but my my hips just seized having my knees there. I couldn't walk. Like, literally, I couldn't hardly straighten my legs when I got out of the up. <laughs> Kayak. It was the worst experience of my life. At one point, I thought, I'm just going to throw myself in the harbour and let the sharks eat me because it was the most horrible time of my life.
0: I've never done anything like that. I've developed what they call theatre knee. Have you sitting? ever heard that? Yeah, from sitting. If you're sitting for for a length of time, it's actually a condition. Your, your knees start to ache. Yeah, yeah, I get that too. Yeah. Do you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah which I'm going to use as an excuse when I have to leave now at interval and things because you know oh, yeah have to leave <laughs> my, knee,
1: like me. my knees fucking up <laughs> we don't talk about we won't talk about that in the cast how oh, much, which no, shows, no, we can, we're, which we're shows have you left at oh, interval yes
0: we can talk off, off <laughs> well it, it is a sort of you know you paid your ticket i think you're quite
1: entitled yeah. to it. if you're not enjoying something
0: you uh, can depart
1: yeah i think it depend, it's also dependent if people know you're in and you know the people. There you go. We know what show. But you also...
0: We, we also I didn't
1: realise that we we're actually... No, we are
0: recording, which is great. I'm glad I've lulled you into that false sense of security because we're talking great things about dancers' bodies. Um, well, but can, um, but up. but also, you were, you were quite ill. You were telling me off, off mic anyway about that, so that you had to leave. So. Yes, but you can edit that out anyway. Well, I may not.
1: You have to... <laughs> There you go I'll it for, for two there. years. they no one knew that I'd done that right they, so won't, they, they, they won't know now
0: but mind you, I think it's all right to to leave a show if sometimes it's
1: not necessarily because it's
0: bad but because you're just not interested it's not a story that captures your imagination or you don't want to invest any more time in this
1: yeah, I mean it is hard if you have friends in the show that you yeah. don't want them to think you'd left them their show because somebody wrote. I saw on Facebook the other day, which was very... It hit home to me, and I was like, just remember that sometimes, you know, the show itself might be bad, but the book writing and everything is what's wrong with it. Don't forget that the people on stage are doing their damnedest to make this work. And I thought, so true, you know. Performance is such a personal expression that I guess if you know that
0: a mate's been in and they they have left for whatever reason, yeah, it can be quite um, upsetting, I suppose, because... I want you to go on the... Although I've got to the stage where I understand if people don't stay for my entire show. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I tried to put myself in that position, I guess. How would <laughs> how, how would you feel if somebody left and you were performing? But I, if someone's not interested or whatever, then I understand if they have to leave. And I'd much rather not see them after the show lie, yeah. lying to my face, and saying, oh, it was so good, when you can see straight through their lies, <laughs> But that's showbiz, isn't it? That, yeah. That sort of...
0: It's... it's it's a beautiful lie, showbiz. There's so many lies. Uh, I mean, as actors,
1: we lie. Um, yeah, unfortunately, some- my, my honesty has got me into trouble too many times in my life. But I often say to people, I find it very hard to lie, even when it comes to, especially when it comes to shows. Well, it's a beautiful quality. Uh, <laughs> maybe, sometimes.
0: So we'll go back and talk about your performing career, but um, tell me about just dance generally. What's your favourite
1: genre of dance? Do you have oh, a favourite? Musical, th- like theatre, theater. Theater, jazz, theatre, or theatre all over, anything that's story-driven. Right. Um, you know, when you're young and you're, you're you know you're dancing, it's all about just dance, anything, any dancing at all. And But as I got older, I sort of, I was talking to Kelly Abbey actually just recently about it. And she said, you know, when you're young, it's all about the steps and you love the steps. But then as you get older, you need so much more than just that. It's about everything. It's about all the aspects. So, but so that's why theatre. I think I'm drawn to because of the storytelling. So, as a kid, were you watching MGM musicals on on the TV and all the time? Or you had videos all them? all the time. I was obsessed with with anything to do with it. It's fu- it's funny. I find that we managed to do so much more research back in the day when we had no access to it, and now the kids that have access to it don't tend to watch as much as we did. Yeah, I agree. And they have it right there. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so frustrating because we remember, you know, begging to be taken to the video store or you know, begging to borrow a video of someone that had something, you know. But now it's, it's at the end of it's on their like it's in their palm. They can see any dance or any performance that they want, and you have to tell them what to what to watch. Yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, I was one of those kids, obsessive.
0: So, so what ignited that passion? I mean. We, was uh, the
1: family a dance family or not at all? And there's a couple of combinations of why. Um, my dad loved tap dancing when he was younger, but obviously growing up in Scotland in the 1950s and 60s, there's you know there was no way that they were going to let him dance. So yeah. there was that. But when I was really young, I was obsessed with ABBA, and um, I would put the record on at my grandmother's house and dance around the (laughs) living room. Seriously, it's that old ad up. But it's
0: true. Who who didn't do that? I mean, the thing from A Chorus Line with Maggie. That's it. I would dance dance around around the living room and that's what
1: I would do. And then my dad took me to the ABBA concert. And I was three and a half, and they he said that I just was on the just standing on the chair dancing the whole time. So then they sort of put they took me to the local dancing school that was in a church hall down the road. That my mum was actually doing adult classes at the um, at the school, and she said that I was going. She was going to take me to watch her class, but then when I got there, there was kids in the class, and they said, "Do you want to join in?" And that was the end of that. So I was, I think, I just turned four, perhaps, when that happened. Can I ask, were you channelling Bjorn or Agnetha? Agnetha.
0: Agnetha, okay. (laughs) She was the blonde one. Yeah, long
1: blonde So that was that. What about your early teachers? Who who were they? Do you remember them? Um, Well, my first teacher was a lady called Rosalie Jarman and that was in the the local school. But then it sort of took to another level because I... My mum told me to see The Sound of Music, the Julie Anthony version, back in 1983. And... um, I tell this story a lot that I was sitting in the balcony and we were right against the wall and what hooked me into musical theater completely was a huge um sticker <laughs> flew falling. out of the wall and at my head right. and I looked I mean I didn't know what it was but I couldn't believe that it had fallen out of the out of sky, the sky. Yeah. and then um I was obsessed then I became obsessed with the sound of music and I was one of those children was that you know thought he was 100 years old at the age of you know, nine and I would read the paper and in the paper it said the producers of the Sound of Music will be doing Oliver this coming summer. So I ripped it out of the paper and I went into my mum and dad and said, I'm gonna be in that and they said, You what? And I said, This is the producers of the sound of music. I said I was going to do that and I'm gonna do this. So they rang my dancing teacher and said, He wants to do this What well, do you have they said he needs sheet music, do you have any? And it was back in the day where you just went to the festival theatre and you stood in the line and I went on the stage of the Adelaide Festival Theatre and sang Putting on the Ritz. How old were you? I was then nine, just turned nine. Right. And they, from the darkness in the centre of the theatre, they said, could you come back tomorrow? And I said, sure. I didn't know if I could. I was like, sure. Went back the next day and um, I remembered so distinctly because this leads into my future dancing careers that i was sitting next to a boy called damien janko i remember his name and he they said they put us in two groups and there was a group on the other side of the theater and there was us and they told us to wait for a second and while well, they went over and spoke to these other boys and i turned to damien and said oh we must have got in and he was like how do you know i said well they would have told us for they would have spoken to us and sent us home so that was it, and then I I got in, and that was the Oliver with Geraldine Turner was Nancy and Gary oh. McDonald was um, Fagin, Fagan. and and that was there I was. It's that thing. There I was in show business, and he, the boy that I was talking about, went to a, another dancing school, and I went to see their concert, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I need to go there. That's the next step." And that was um, Barbara Komazek, who's daughters, Nadia and Zoe, now in the business. Um, so I went there and that was where I really became serious about dancing is, you know, my, shall we say, you know, if you're going in an order of a dancer, singer, actor, then that's when dancer became the first of my attributes, I would say. So you were
0: bitten by the bug at a very early age. Yeah. Um, did you tour in Oliver? No, no because, because I was... They picked up the kids. They the yeah. but
1: this is everyone... This, back, you know, now there's three casts of kids. Hmm. Back then, they, we were the only cast, so we did the Oh, there were shows. no child label, or you no, did eight shows a week? we did eight no? shows a week, and I told my mum that I had to go to the understudy calls, but I didn't, so I would go and sit in the audience and watch. And every now and again, like they were doing scenes, they would call the boys in, but I would go to all of them. And then the two girls, there was the bet and a bet understudy. And they, when school went back, they weren't allowed to go to cover calls because um, they went to really strict Catholic schools. So the um, resident director asked if I would um, play bet in the cover calls. <laughs> so I used to play bet <laughs> in the cover calls. And it's like I still have the poster where, like, everyone, the cast sign and all was saying, oh, you were the best bet. And that's sort of f- funny. So, yeah, I was obsessed. Just from then, I mean... You know that was also in the time when you you lined up with the rest of the cast and they gave you your pay in an envelope oh, wow. in cash. Wow! Um You know there was exciting there, for a little fella. Yeah, I mean it was amazing and you know going to the theatre every talk, day. Talking about child labour laws, I, I I don't know if you've seen that
0: documentary on Annie. And what has happened to all of those girls who played all Life after tomorrow, I have Life a DVD. After DVD. isn't it fantastic? Yeah. yeah. And Sarah <laughs> Jessica Parker talks about how nuts it was. They were taken to Studio fifty four. Yeah. And things crazy town. You know? There was just no
1: one overseeing the welfare of the kids. No. Um You know, and I you know, of course that has its detriments, but how exciting. You know To that, be at that, Studio fifty four like, eleven. Yeah, <laughs> like I just I just You all being the toast of the town, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean I mean, you know, when you're young, you think you are worldly. But how exciting for, you know, those kids. So um,
0: being a performer, taking up dance, what how was that received at school? Um,
1: well, in my primary school, yeah. it was, you know, especially because I was doing well and in a show and it was considered, you know, fabulous. But then I went to high school yeah. and, you know, 1986... Um, it's a different time, obviously, to now, completely. So I kept it a secret at my first high school, but I was really badly bullied. Like, right. you know, I, I, you know, would just be sitting having lunch, and one day a guy went past and just punched me in the head. You know, like things like that. Just because you were fabulous. Well, fabulous now we say yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> why. But go back to my, you know, my twelve-year-old um, self and say, mm. you know, this is because you're special. In their, their eyes, they're jealous. But um, So I kept it a secret and then it sort of got too much and I think my mum and dad realised that they needed to find me somewhere else. So I went to a school which isn't there anymore called Camerton High School, which is one of the first schools in the country that had Year 12 dance. So I moved to there and then obviously I was... Even more fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but kids can be bloody cruel, can't they? It's uh... Oh, I remember now, like, going back to my 20-year high school reunion, a couple of people, like, apologised for, you know, the way that they behaved. I, mean, so I, I said, look, I don't even really remember you, sorry. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, excellent. didn't really make that much of an impact on me because... But excellent you know. that that guilt had followed them through their lives. Yeah, well, it's a different time now, I think, mm. as well, and... How big of them to to admit that they, you know, had done something that they're ashamed of, I guess. So we're talking about Adelaide at this Adelaide, stage? Yes. Yeah, because you grew up in Adelaide. Grew up in Adelaide, yeah. yeah. A um, very artistic city. I mean, with that Adelaide Festival Trust and... Yeah, I mean, we got to do a lot of things, especially with the school being my high school, second high school. We got to, you know dance I remember Ice House came and did a performance at the Adelaide opening of the Adelaide Festival and um it was an open air concert in Elder Park and we got to dance with them and you know my school put on p- productions at the Festival Theatre and you know was I I mean I left because I finished school quite early I finished year 12 and 16 and I left Adelaide pretty quickly so you know the, so was that a move to Sydney or Melbourne uh, to Sydney con- first yeah I moved to, to Sydney to continue training and or to seek um, that, that Well, Because next... that's all you could do. There was, right. I mean, as the world was such, a, was just, you know, isolated, Adelaide was so much more isolated than it is now. And I was told by someone that you can't stay here because you, you've, if you want a career as a dancer and in musicals, you've got to get out. So I don't know how my parents let me at the age of 16 get on a plane to Sydney, um, where I'd never been. And I knew a friend of a friend, so Lisa Shembury, who's now Lisa Perry, married to Dean Perry, um, said that I could um, crash on their couch for a little bit. And she lived with William Forsyth at the time. And my first night in Sydney at 16 years old was on Mardi Gras weekend. Wow. And living just off South Dowling Street up in um, Moor Park. And um, so, yes, my eyes were widened quite young and I got off the plane with my suitcase and arrived and then stayed there for a couple of weeks and then they found me a share house in um, just off Napier Street Paddington which was just off Oxford Street and um, I stayed I lasted three months and was totally homesick and that was at a time too where there was no full-time courses for dance in Sydney and So uh, Dynamite hadn't started Dynamite hadn't opened yet. Brent Street was open, but there was no full-time school. Right. And you'd just have to go into your classes at Sydney Dance Company and um, Brent Street and get your own, you know, sort of try and get yourself known. But then I went home for a couple of months and I went and did a summer school at um, Dance Factory in Melbourne. And... I was there for at all of, I think, five minutes and we started doing a warm-up and Dulcie Lee, who runs Dance Factory, came up and said, why don't you come and do full-time? And I said, oh, well, that sounds like a good idea. So I went home, packed my bags and went to Melbourne and then did full-time there. So who was teaching in those early courses Around the country, especially at the not the Jam Factory, Dance, factory. Dance factory. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, well, Dulcie Lee was is the owner, still is, and her daughter Vicky. So, Dulcie had a career in musical theatre, or where did she come from? Well, and everything back in you know back in the seventies and early eighties, and well the sixties even. Um, hope she doesn't mind me saying that. Um, you know, there was so much work, television work, and and uh, the Don Lane show, all and, sorts and all of stuff. Yeah, venues, so news like the Swagman.
0: Yes,
1: yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. And like, in those days, you know, when I was growing up in the 80s, you saw all the dancers you wanted to be on the television. So you, you knew, like, I knew who Kelly Abbey was and Jackie Howard and, uh, uh, you know, Jason Coleman and Todd McKenney and all the people that I wanted to be like from and the, and, watching and the, them on, these, on the Don Lane show or the, or the midday show or you know what have you so but that's really important for a
0: young kid who's wanting to be a performer is to start to get to know the names of the people who are yeah. working in the industry as practitioners or as dancers or whatever so
1: you know well you we- saw them all the time on that you know they were you know on different Stations, different shows, and you just, you got to know them. And especially as an aspiring dancer from Adelaide, you know, you'd tape it, you'd videotape it and watch it over and over and over again. (laughs) I probably knew all the steps to every, every, um, midday show opening number, you know? So, yeah. So when I went to Dance Factory, um, also, we had lots of teachers. Barbara Warren Smith was a big influence on me when it came to feeling and style and, um, who else did I have? Sue Ellen Shook, who was Sue Ellen Cox back then, um, Sonali Versace, um, Chris Backus, Kelly Akers, I mean, even Andy Hallsworth, because he had done full time a few years previously to me, he used to teach us. Um, I don't want to leave anyone out in case they're listening, but yeah, I, no, I, I mean, that was, you know, the culture back then as well is to do, and used to do the open classes at night too, so all the dancers would do class all the time. Um, yeah, it was a really special time, you know. But it was sort of... The commercial dance was starting to... You know, the recession hit in the early 90s and cutbacks were, you know, and pop music wasn't as popular, so the, the film clips weren't having as much dancing. So I sort of came in as the commercial scene was sort of quietening down. But theatre was always my first love anyway,
0: you know? So um, you're auditioning for musicals, I guess... At, yeah. At this time.
1: Well, it was funny. I I was in. I went to Melbourne, say in the February. By the March, I got a theatre restaurant job at the um, Dragonfly Theatre Restaurant in Tullmere, in a show called Go Hollywood, and we do two nights a week, and um, that kept me. It paid my rent, mind you. Back then, 1992, my rent in Elwood was sixty five dollars a week, and um, <laughs> the two nights at the Dragonfly fed me and um, paid my rent. So and I would audition for shows and, you know, I mean, I was lucky. I was only out for a year, not even a year, but, um, you know, you get right to the end of every call. It's that same old thing, you know, you just miss out. And um, I auditioned for um, West Side Story, so this is 1993, West Side Story and My Fair Lady within a week of each other, I think, Nancy Hayes was choreographing My Fair Lady that version. It was the Anthony Wallow version. And I went home to Adelaide, sort of deflated, you know, I thought oh, you know, it's, it's only been you know, when you when you're young a year is a long time. And I got a phone call at my parents' house saying I got West Side Story. And which was lovely to be at home and getting and they said you've got baby John in West Side Story, so that was Exciting, And then the following day, they rang me again and said, you got My Fear Lady as well. And I was wow, really lucky great. because it My Fair Lady was first, actually. It was in an opera season, so it was only short. And we did that, and then I went home for Christmas and came back and then started West Side Story. Um, yeah, which was a, a change in my life, you know, because we got to work with everybody that I watched on those things. Todd McKenney was in it, and Jackie Howard was in it, and um, Kelly Abbey and... That's when a, um, a young lady called Caroline O'Connor um, came home from England to be in that. In that West Story? Yeah. yeah, She yeah. was Anita. Um, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. Made friends for life and learned so much, you know, because I was the baby and I was just like a sponge. I wanted to know all about everyone's careers and so are you dancing Jerome Robbins'
0: choreography in there? Yes, yeah. Still? Yeah. yeah. Is it part of West Side Story now that you must use the it, Robbins' choreography? It ha- has
1: been for a long time. Right. They're about to do a new one, apparently, in New York with brand new choreography. Right. Which is for the first time. But our production also was the first time that you're allowed to use the Jerome Robbins' choreography with brand new direction. Right. And new set. So that... Yeah, it was very. Yes, special. So I remember that. Uh, that was
0: like a three tiered, three story set. So I remember the end of Act One where everybody comes together for the the
1: quintet. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was on all the all the um, tenements, various levels, yeah. and the bedroom came out of the It was suspended in the air, came out of the tenements, and Ian Judge, Ian in Judge, Judge, yeah. It, yeah. And we, and one of the things that everyone talks about is that we had the the highway that flew in and came together like a like a jigsaw puzzle, and it got its own applause every time it, it got put together. Well, this is the time of barricades and helicopters. Yes, so this, is sh- this is true. We gave the helicopter a run for its money. Yeah, so it's quite an impressive list of shows that
0: you've done: Hot Shoe Shuffle, Chicago, uh, Spamalot.
1: You know, now
0: there's been some big hits there, and others which have closed early. What's it like when you know you think you're you're in a show for the next year, but you're given the news that um, it's going to be closing early?
1: Well, that was Spamalot. Uh, yeah. That I, had, I hadn't done a show for 10 years at that point because when I left Chicago, um, I did Moulin Rouge. And then from there, I sort of, that's when I started choreograph- doing dabbling in choreography. But I went and saw, um, just to digress a little bit on this story, yep, sure. but um, I went and saw the Hugh Jackman boy from Oz and sort of had a little bit of a, not a breakdown, but I sort of had a realisation that... This I is in New York? No, no, here. No, here, when you tour, yeah, The tour, okay, the Arena yeah, yeah. one, that I hadn't... I hadn't I wasn't done with musicals. So Spamalot was coming and I went, oh, that might be something that I could do. And by the grace of the universe, I um, got in. So basically they moved. It was back in the... I don't know if they still do it, but the relocation thing, if it's going to be um, over a certain amount of time, they'd relocate you to Melbourne. So they thought we were going to do at least a year. And, um, yeah, then after... Christmas and New Year what game past. we went out and half a half a theatre and like we've only done three months you know so it was sort of devastating but then again I look at it as a special time too because we did it so quickly I mean it but, was the, the it was just come off the back of being it just won the Tony Award for Best Musical and it was a big hit in England as well and we didn't have any idea that it wasn't going to do well because that was before Skype and everything. And they had they, Mike Nichols, who was the director, but um, they booked a satellite so that he could watch us <laughs> rehearse the yeah. final run and then he gave us notes via satellite on this massive screen. So we thought, oh, well, we're in for the long... This is, like, major. Yeah. And then it just wasn't... It just didn't hit its mark. And, yeah, it was all over.
0: But you, I guess you, as performers, you've given up your your um, accommodation—not your accommodation, your rental property. Where if you've had to move cities or whatever,
1: must yeah, be a great inconvenience. Well, we had to get leases, or, we? right? Because you could—and in Melbourne, six months leases are hard to get. So we had to sign year-long leases, and you know, move all our furniture in, and then we had to then we had to get out of them, which was even harder than getting one in the first place. So yeah, it was really that was de- that was a bit of a deflation. But then, I look at and go, well, we could have stayed in there for that long haul and been sort of tired of it. Mm. But as it is, it was a really special. So you're routine. dancing the choreography of Casey Nicholaw. Yeah, would, would, did he come out for that? Or he did. Yeah, he yeah. We learned it from his um, his associate. Yep. First Scott, and then um, he came for the final week of rehearsal in the theatre, I think, maybe. I don't think he stayed. He didn't stay for opening night because he was doing Jurassic Chaperone, I think he had to fly back. Right. Because this is at the start. You know, he's, he's had this juggernaut career now, but that's at the start of it all happening, isn't it? It's funny. We went... Todd Ellison, who was the um, musical... super. Well, you know, he did the musical direction originally. We went to... I went to dinner with him one night and he was... They were all saying how Spamalot... They were so grateful for Spam a lot because, you know, bought them their houses and they were so grateful to have it. But then Casey from there it's just gone crazy, you know. Yeah. He's done directed so many shows now. Some yeah. three times sometimes there's three on Broadway at the same time. Yeah. yeah it's extraordinary. It's, it's fabulous. Aladdin and Dream Girls and, and uh, Something Rotten and um Tuck Everlasting, like I said to you before and He's just done this thing called The Prom. The Prom. Yep. Yeah. So he's um yeah. on oh, Book of Mormon. Book. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, there you
0: go. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you'd only done that, you know, that's going to allow him to buy a few buy a few, buy a few houses. Unbelievable. Um. And what about Anne Ryan King? Did you get to work with her yeah,
1: much during Chicago? Greatest.
0: Yeah.
1: Fossey dancers. I couldn't. It's one of my favourite stories, and it's, oh, you know, when because we learned that as usual back then, the associate would come out and teach it first, and then the original. But they still do that a lot of the time now. So, of course, it's Anne Riking, for goodness sake. It's like royalty in our eyes as a dancer in theatre. Um, the I remember the first day she came, I just couldn't believe it. So what we, everything we'd already learnt, and then we would um, do it for her, each number. So, and Troy Phillips and I did the my, Me and My Baby specialty with Chelsea Gibb, who was playing Roxy. And we'd done everything else, all that jazz, da-da-da-da, we were waiting outside, and Caroline um, had done "I Can't Do It Alone." In Cause Cap- she's playing Velma. Caroline she's playing O'Connor. Velma. Yep. Oh yes, Caroline's playing Caroline O'Connor's playing Velma. And she came out. She was teary, and she went past. And I thought, oh gosh, it's going to be bad. Like, well, oh, no, she just she made Caroline cry. What's going to happen? So we go in, and we're doing it for her, and she's watching and just, you know. Stroke. She had a on her feet. She had like a turtleneck on, and she was stroking the turtleneck of her of it. So we did the number, and then she made us do it again. She gave Chelsea a few notes, and then she said, "Okay, thanks, guys. That's fine." And I went to get my bag, and she said, "Cameron," and I said, "Yes," and she goes, "Really good. Mr. Fossey would have liked that," and I (laughs) died. (laughs) I just remember leaving as well. And then I went into the other room. I was crying when I left because I thought, this is my d- dream. Yeah. And she had said the same thing to Caroline. And that's why Caroline was crying. Because when I went in and Caroline was crying and I said, she said this to said, she said this to me. <laughs> and I remember that going, it doesn't get much better than that as a as a dancer. As an acknowledgement of your as work. As an acknowledgement that. Ability. And- yeah. And saying, he would, he, well, he would have been happy, number one, but that she was, you know, happy. And I mean, in the audition, she was very complimentary to me as well when we were auditioning, and um, that it would be enough for me. <laughs> I guess
0: I mean, I mean, you meet a hero like that; it's uh, it's great when they don't disappoint.
1: Oh, crazy! I mean, she was tough on us. Yeah. You know, I remember once she she yelled at the girls, but I was you know you sit on stage and we were doing tech, and the girls were talking, 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 and I could hear on the microphone because I was next to the speaker, my chair, girls girls and she was trying to get their attention and they couldn't hear and said, she was getting louder and louder and I was starting to freak out and then she screamed on the microphone. And I heard one of the other dancers, who shall remain nameless, um, say, oh, who does she think she is? And I <gasps> said, I said I think she thinks who she thinks she is. I think she knows who she is. She's There's a- no thought, yeah. <laughs> you know. We are doing Chicago and she is Anne Reinking, you know. But, yeah, wonderful, wonderful memory.
0: Now, you've, you've also been an educator as well as the performer and a student yeah. of dance, you know, as you served a time as Artistic Director at Brent Street. I did, yeah. For a while. Um, so the kids who were there, you know, dancers, are they able to
1: specialise in one style or or surely it's best to embrace well, versatility in a career? I mean, I've been Brent Street now for 25 years. This is my, was my 25th year teaching there. Um, and that was another... You know, another um, branch from West Side Story is that Jackie Howard, who owned Brent Street with her sisters, um, said to me, you should move to Sydney when we finish here and come and work for me. So she thankfully helped me pack my house and put it in a trailer and brought me to Sydney and started and started me teaching at Brent Street. Um, and I, when you say, can they specialise in one, I usually say, God, I hope not. Right. Because... I think you need to be able, when you're training, you should focus on getting as many different um, styles and getting a grasp on anything because you just don't know what the future's going to hold. I mean, it's hard if you want to be a contemporary dancer solely. um, You do at one point have to focus on that, but I think that you should, I really, really try to push that. Every dancer, make sure that they can sing at least a bit and acting is important to me is more important than all of them because a soulless dancer that doesn't have any ability to tell a story yeah. is, you know, you've got to win a whole audience over. And I say to the kids, your hardest people in the audience is usually your, the male side of the family. So if you can keep your grandfather, your father and your brother awake yep. and interested, yep. you're winning. Great. You know, I think that's, yeah, and that's by being a good actor. So yes I don't I don't really <laughs> I'm not the advocate for focusing on one thing. How important do you think it is for their teachers
0: to continue to to work and and practice their art? I think it's
1: everything I think but right. I I think it that's like that in any life. It yeah. like you constantly have to learn and evolve and change and we're students for the for our entire lives otherwise we'll lose the love for it. You know if we keep doing the same thing and Stick to the same formula all the time. We we tire of it. So having teachers that are constantly learning as well, and you know, are open to that is so much. better. it's great for the kids because they can tell that the teacher is excited about what they're passing on because it's also fresh. Yeah, yeah. I try to. Be, that's what I try to do anyway. Is it a competitive industry? Teaching?
0: No, no. The dancing. I mean, there must be.
1: Yeah, terribly. Because yeah. I mean. I think as well. I don't know. I think dancers are also trained to believe that that it's that. Well, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Um, you're constantly competing. Yeah, that's you know from the whether it's um, for the front line. Whether it's for the center spot, whether it's in a competition, whether it's auditioning, you know you, you were, you're just in the culture of constantly trying to win over you know I, mean, I guess it's like that with singing and acting as well, obviously yep. trying to get a job, but not a lot of the time does a singer or an actor compete in like a, as much as dancers do you know in the, in the competition sect. Um, so you just—it's in their blood to constantly be trying to be better than the other person, which I don't think is unhealthy all the time, um, unless it gets catty. But yeah, it is very competitive. And but there's a, there's a, lot, a lot of so rejection too, I guess, that they've got to uh, learn to deal constant with. Yeah. And constant and um, constant—the reasons why you're rejected: too short, too tall, too yeah. fat, too nothing thin. Nothing to do with your talent. Too blonde, too dark. Um, nothing. Yeah, it's constant. Which is sad because it does promote a lot of constant self loathing too, which you try to give nowadays. There's a lot more um, focus on giving people the tools to deal with this rejection, but back in back in my day, there was none of that. You just, you know, you didn't eat, <laughs> you know, or <laughs> you didn't, you know what I mean? You just, um, yeah, it's a constant battle about whether or not you're worthy um, as a dancer, I think. Um- and that psychology too. I guess eating disorders are a big concern with some dancers as well. Oh, well, I'm, I'm and... very, it would be very strange if you found someone as a dancer that never, ever had dealt with the mentally yeah. body image issues. I did terribly because I went from... I went the opposite way. You know, there's those th- boys that you... You know, you have that awkward stage in puberty where it's a little bit weighty, and then yep, yep. You, you grow up, you, you stretch out. Yeah, I didn't. I went. I sort of had no problems with anything, and then when I turned about eighteen, it you know my body started to change. And somebody came up to me after a performance that I, you know, I had known my whole life that said that grabbed me around the waist and said, "Oh, you're going to need to watch that, aren't you?" No, and no. then from that time on. Um, yeah, they didn't realise what well, a little thing like that how it can impact. You know, and there's somebody who I love, I, I love dearly, but when I was on West Side Story, used to call me Little Miss Hungry Jacks, and that, you know, as much as, as much as I can laugh about it, it it's still stuck with me. You know what I mean? I'm like, because hmm. I was never going to be six foot, and you know, I didn't have the body, you know, so I had to constantly look out for my weight and. You know, did, you know, terrible things. You know, didn't eat or went on tablets to keep the weight down or whatever. Did you whatever. smoke? Um, no, not then. Right. No. I didn't, no, not to keep the weight down.
0: <laughs> no. of, course, of course, that's generally a trick, I guess. A lot of dancers smoke. Yeah, the I,
1: think back, I think in the 80s, early 90s, there yeah, it was like on a break, you wouldn't eat, you'd have a cigarette. But that was back in the time when everybody smoked. Well, that's true too. Yeah. They realised how bad <laughs> it
0: was for you, but you know I've heard stories of of, of dancers who wrap themselves in glad, glad wrap or garbage yep. bins yep. and live on. Remember limits biscuits? Limits.
1: I was laughing about limits. <laughs> yeah, I did. I said to a friend of mine, "Do you remember limits? Because that was you know, and remember when Cruskets first came out, and you would just have cottage cheese on a Crusket or um, God, I remember. I yeah, I. I was surviving once on um, a banana a day at one point. You know, how I ever got through any shows being that, have, not having enough food. Um, well, that's right. You need to fuel your body, don't you? To, well, to now give yourself we know this. Energy. Now we know exactly <laughs> that food is the friend, <laughs> not the enemy. Not the enemy. Whereas back then it was the less you eat, the thinner you'd be. And the happier you would be, they would promote, wouldn't they? Mm. So, mm. Not and a, Ford, no, no. Ford pills were popular for slimming as well. Yes. Yeah. I remember they had those ads on the television for Ford pills.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, and remember, this has got nothing to do with dance, <laughs> but remember, you could also take uh, like carotene tablets to give yourself a natural tan. And everyone turned orange. Oh my God. Oh. You remember that? But we missed those days. <laughs> we missed those days. Um, choreography. Now, is that a natural progression for a dancer to move into? Do a lot of dancers become choreographers?
1: I remember when i was very, still very young i probably was about 10 and i got all the kids in the neighborhood together and i was putting on a show and i sold tickets to the neighbors and i so was choreographing as well. yes and i was choreographing all the numbers with non-dancers and i remember my first hissy fit as a choreographer at the age of 10 because no one was remembering the steps but it, to me it was always was the dream was that i was going to choreograph my own stuff and it came really in when I was about sixteen I went and saw Dancing Man, David Atkins Dancing Man. Yep. And then Dynamite. And I saw that he had created and choreographed and directed this show. And I was absolutely in awe, thinking that's just like I don't know whether it was all the power, but you know it was sort of like this can happen. And so then that was always my dream. And then when I finished Moulin Rouge the film I got a phone call remember Pop Stars the TV show Yep. Um, and Bardot was the the girl group that was created in that show I got a phone call asking if I was interested in choreographing their tour and I dabbled in stuff you know done fashion parades choreographing for them and stuff prior and I thought yeah I'd love to do that and I remember I was just finished that and I went and saw Caroline's um, Piaf that she did at the footbridge. Um, and in the bar afterwards, she said, I want to put a show together and I want you to choreograph it. And that was we both um, co-created the, From Stage to Screen, which was her first sort of cabaret, on a, was on a big scale, had a full orchestra and everything, and that was my first big job that I choreographed. But it was always something, and she says it too, that she could see in me that that was my um, calling, that that's where I would eventually be doing what's the um the first thing you do when you're given
0: a project to choreograph whether it be a show or a fashion parade or Carolines show or um I mean creatively like the yeah, yeah, to yeah. Put it together to,
1: you know they've offered it to you what what's the first thing you start to think about I listen to it you yeah. know the music I mean with Caroline show we create everything so we just sat on the floor back in the day with CDs for every show that we new in like on the floor and we just kept putting the songs in and um for me i i listen to the music and the and the pictures start in my head you know of where where the way i see the numbers going i mean some i mean obviously with musicals it's a director's vision first and then you're an extension of their their vision and you have the discussions about where it's going to go but Yeah, I think for me, I just listen to it over and over or I'll read the script and... And there's a a dance language that you need to start to create, I guess. For me, it's music. I think... Oh, and the character. I mean, it's all... For me, I work so much... I I enjoy working so much more with actors than straight dancers because it's organic and I, I like to see how that character moves... So the choreography really for me comes out of the um, physicality of their character, which I found So do you do you collaborate much with the artist yeah, in order to find I like that? to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean ensemble stuff's different because you can then make up the choreography prior and And um, I suppose you create it with the ensemble too, you're creating shapes and um... Yeah. I mean I like to do it in the I'm in, in the room person. My preparation is doing a like a slight skeleton of the movement of how I feel that that is and then I like to get in the room and work with the actor and the dancer yeah more I'm more an in the room person rather than all the steps are Mm. created completely prior and I go in and just teach the steps which takes me back to when I was saying just steps doesn't really interest me it's got to be character driven so yeah you know that I've got a couple of projects next year that Obviously I listen to the music over and over and I have sort of some ideas of where it's going to go, but then I know when I get in the room it will it'll differ slightly dependent on how that person moves or if they can even do the step. Can you yeah. read music? I used to. I played the electric organ for six years. <laughs> <laughs> A great That's instrument. another story, yeah. yes. You know I often say to my parents, Why not the piano? Why did you start me on that? Um so I used to. I can read it like somewhat but not as well as i used to because i'm thinking that the score obviously can lead you in the way
0: that you're going to choreograph it there's a particular crash of symbols or little musical idiosyncrasies oh.
1: within oh yes yeah that's that you've got to you've got to honor that within the score yeah I means a lot yeah. harder when you're working with something that you haven't got well see because i don't see that i know i don't read it like that i can't tell when that's going to happen but i do have to work with the musical director as in is this going to have this here? Because it's very... If there is a huge symbol crash there and the dancers and actors aren't, are not totally ignoring it, then I look like I don't know what I'm doing. I think of so, a number like um, when Velma takes a stand.
0: Yeah, but, thing, but see, the thing
1: is, when they first did that, yeah. it was all created as ones because Bob Fosse was also the director and Gwen Verdon was... Oh, no, she was Roxy. Was Chita Rivera was Velma. But... Um, all that stuff would have come in through... In the rehearsal. I suppose Cander and Ever there, right? Yes, and he'd say, I yes. want them to do the cymbal on that beat. Yep. don't crash, ba not right. crash, you know. Um, you know, but also working on shows like that where you have watched that sort of stuff being accented. You know, accents for me. The light and shade in the music is everything to me and that's why I say the music drives the choreography for me a lot because those sorts of things are important. So when you plan that choree are you able to write
0: it down there's a there's a choreographic language isn't there where you can make notes dictates we were talking what about the steps this. are going to be
1: we were talking about this in rehearsal rehearsing a concert at the moment and we were laughing that we used to have to write everything down because now of course you just grab your phone and you film it oh okay yep. but back in the day you'd write everything down and for me it, I've got still I keep all my notes and all my um from all the shows or anything I've choreographed and it's so funny the way you used to write you know, you'd say something like funny head twirling step or something, you know, and then you come back to it f- four weeks later and you go, what on earth was the funny head twirling step? like? But you think at the time you were a member of that. Yeah, oh,
0: absolutely. Flicky, I,
1: yeah. flicky handy thing. <laughs> 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 times eight, you know, or, you know, step will change times two, pull back. Like, it's so... Um, but now you just grab your phone and film it, yeah. which is... Um, I don't think it goes in as well as when you write it out, Yeah. you know it's like anything. It's like writing anything out helps to engrave it in your memory. But um, so, do you work at home in front of a mirror or something? Or um, yeah, yeah. No, I don't have a mirror at home. Or well, sometimes I'll just go in and use studio. studios at Bread yeah. Street. Um, and film it. Sometimes an assistant get an assistant to help with that. Um. But nine times out of ten, whatever I have actually created and that's on that video, it'll change when I start putting it on the dancer. And you look at an ensemble, you're, you're creating a mini world, you're creating a
0: world, aren't you? Whether it be, you know, something like The Music Man where you've got to create all those, those citizens or heathers, which they're all students. Yes. West Side Story are street yeah. gangs. So there's, there's a
1: particular uh, language that those people inhabit Yeah, which is, as I said as well, that's another extension of, of the character. You know, it's, it wouldn't mince around like you're in kinky boots on the streets of New York City as a West Side Story, if you know, different, not that I created either of those things, but, you know, that's just an example, I guess. Uh, dream ballets are a, a unique device of musicals. We don't see as many nowadays. No, unless, you know, the, recently they did one in Oklahoma at the production company and um, Amy Campbell choreographed that one. Great.
0: Well, Agnes Mille originally sort of did that Dream Ballet, which is
1: a way of expressing character again. Yes. That's not within the, the main narrative. No. I mean, obviously we did the one in West Side Story too when I was in that. Um, I think it's an odd tool, especially now that there's more people... You know, back then there was the dancers, the singers and the actors, they're all separate, whereas now the integrated musical, everybody... So you'd cast somebody that would... Do the if even if it was a dream ballet, you'd cast somebody that was going to play themselves. And I think they did that. What's the one the carousel? Yeah, the carousel that they just did. No, it was the first time in the, on Broadway that the same people played themselves in I'm the dream sure, ballet. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was that one, but um, you know, because usually somebody else is Another. playing the character, a dancer would come dream on. And dance Cooley, the dream Curly, Dream Laurie, yeah, yeah. Which is, um, I find that very odd because. You get so used to watching that person go on their journey, well, and then all so of a sudden, a somebody dream else. Version. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, you obviously need a good relationship with your director. Mm-hmm. How do you work with a director when you're choreographing?
1: Um, I mean, I've been really lucky in the last couple of years. I've had got a really good um, rapport with them. Um, different directors, different ways. I find, you know, that, that, that they approach things, but. You sit down and they talk about their vision for the show and how what they would like and and um and the language that you they feel that they want it to be in and what style. Um But um you really have to well, as a choreographer, you're not the boss. Basically you're a a um extension of them. So you have to have a great relationship with them otherwise it's it's not gonna work yeah um and I find I really like that I really like extending what they've what they see because I'm learning too I find and I've worked with so many different directors and I've been lucky to work on different some really diverse types of shows, whether it is Heathers or Carousel or um, what that? calamity Jane you know which was more you know. Car- like comedy in the movement whereas um, Carousel was more dancey and you know classic or Heathers which was all 80s which was you know fabulous just, yeah. you know, just had to go in my back pocket and get everything out that I did at dancing what, school myself
0: what did I when I was a boy
1: yes get out of those isolations it was um, yeah so I th- think I answered so did I answer that question right perfectly yes perfectly. <laughs> Um,
0: you're making your directorial debut in a month at The Hayes with Catch Me If You Can. Congratulations. Thank you.
1: Well, Are you yes. excited about that? I'm both excited and terrified, obviously. As I was saying before about when you're the choreographer working with the director, it's their vision and they're the boss. And one, one perk from that is that um, you don't take the blame. <laughs> but when you're the director and the choreographer, there's, it rests it's all rests on yeah. you. It's all, the butt stops there. Um, Look, as I said before as well, you know, seeing those productions where the director and the choreographer are the same person and that was always, you know, the ultimate goal and now I've been given the opportunity to do it. Um, When I was asked what I'd like to do, I said, well, I want to do a show that has a lot of dancing in it because I think that's my, will be, you know, Like especially for the first one, because I really like to tell the story through the dance, and so it'll be one through vision through the whole show. So I looked at different things and chose Catch Me If You Can because it's a great score. The score is fabulous, and it's you know it's got so many great numbers with great dance arrangements, and um, I was obsessed with the film when it first came out. Leonardo DiCaprio And and Tom Hanks. Yeah. And read the book as well, and had watched. I've watched every interview of Frank Apennail, Apennail Jr. So I know it really well. And um, I saw the production that they did on Broadway to 2012 with Norbert Leo. Yes, he won the Tony. Yes, he beat our Tony Sheldon. Yes, he did. Yeah,
0: yeah. He did too. We're all rooting for Sheldon and Priscilla, but uh, Leo Leo Norbert Butts.
1: Norbert. Leo
0: Yes,
1: <laughs> anyway, impro- It that. looks good in lights. <laughs> yes. Um yes, he won. Um and Aaron Tveit was um the DiCaprio character. Was Frank Abagnale. Yes. Um so what's what's the story about? It's um well it's it's quite fascinating. It's a true story about a young boy who ran away from home at 16 and by the time he was in his early 20s, he had basically travelled the world posing as an airline pilot. Um, And he had stolen millions and millions of dollars from all all the banks around the world by forging um, cheques. But people think the story is about that and just about the forgery, but the, the heart of the story is that he was yearning for love from his family, you know, and it was a broken family. So he wanted the attention. He wanted, yeah, and he was basically trying to impress his dad his whole life, well, yes. his early life. Um And he never got, he never had that reciprocated because he never, in the movie and in the um musical, he sees his dad again. But in in real life, he never, never saw did... his dad the day he ran away. Right. Um and so yeah it's sort of that yearning for family and and belonging and on both sides and in the in the detective's case as well he's he's a father whose wife has left him with his son and he doesn't get to see his son so he's living sort of vicariously through chasing this young boy around the world trying to be his father figure trying to help him so that's really the crux of the story in the heart of it is
0: yeah, Parents family, and family yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah sense of yeah, and I think everyone can relate to that in some way.
0: So. Would you like to do a lot more directing?
1: Well, I mean,
0: this is just the, the beginnings. But yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah?
1: Oh, you know, you, of course. Direct a choreographer. Yeah, that's was always the dream. So, you know, now it's I always say what do you do when you've achieved your your goal, you need to find another goal. So the first okay. goal is to, hopefully this to work. Um, and then, of course, in the future I'd love to do much more. But I also don't want to stop collaborating. I love working with other directors because, you know, I love learning from them too. Yeah. So, and
0: I, I think the music theatre is a very special form in that there is so much collaboration which takes place between the musical sides, the, the technical sides, the performing sides, yeah.
1: creative sides. And that's the thing too. I love working at, at, with a team. Yeah. Who, who all contribute together to create this yeah. magical experience. Lights, which the lighting, the, the, the design, the... Yeah. The costumes, that you know, and everybody. It's, that's one of the most exciting things when everyone comes together on the first day and talks about their vision and what they're going to do, and then you wrap it all up in in the neat bow by the end. Well, it's a long way since the workhouse. It's in, a long way in Oliver. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, all the best with uh, Catch Me If You Can when when it opens in a month or so. Um, thanks for talking to us, Cam. It's been really terrific. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, love. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's good. That's good. That was
1: fantastic. You feel it's good? We've got everything out? Yeah, yeah. Wow. You feel alright? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was funny at the beginning how you tricked me and we'd already started. That was clever. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, I usually ramble.
0: You didn't at all. There wasn't one arm or anything. Wow. Oh, I love stages. Always something new to learn. If you enjoyed this conversation, you're bound to enjoy many more from the Stages Archive. You'll find conversations with Tony Lamon, Geraldine Turner and Andrew McFarlane, just to name a few. And all with fascinating tales across all stages. Find the podcast on Wooshka or in iTunes. Don't forget to subscribe so that you may receive each new episode as it drops. And take the time to rate and review the podcast. Please. It helps us reach a broader audience and share these great conversations. I'm Peter Ryers and you've been listening to Stages.